I'm Pastor Mark, and I'm excited to be able to share with you in the second part of our uh, summer series. This is our second entry into it. It's called Everyday Prayer, and it really is our look at the book of Psalms over the summer. We're going to be picking out some of the most important and beautiful songs from the book of Psalms and talk to you about what's going on there. It's a very personal kind of series. And um, we're excited about being able to do that. I'm excited. This is an exciting day for all of us. Our Master's Commission students are graduating tonight. Master's Commission is is our uh, full-time school discipleship program to train ministry students and people just in discipleship. And we have several tonight at 530, and their parents are here today. We're going to be graduating them. You're all welcome to come if you'd like at 530. It's going to be fun. So uh, it's an honor to have all of them here. It's an honor to be able to talk with you about a special psalm, one of my favorites in the Scripture. You know, out of the 150 psalms in the Bible, uh, many of them are just stories written in a psalm or a song that describe very, very important crisis situations that some of the writers were in. I mean, it's very real life, big time uh, heat of crisis kind of thing. Uh, they took the pen and they wrote what they're feeling. Many of you maybe do that when you journal. So some of the psalms are actually prayers or songs that came out of intense pressure that someone was going through. Some of you probably are old enough to remember um, a old Carly Simon song, You're So Vain. Some, yeah, you're shaking your head. Yeah, some of you remember that. Uh, Carly Simon uh, had this boyfriend, and, and he had cheated on her, and she took him down royally in a song. I mean, she killed him in that song, and it became platinum, and it's still sung all over the place. Her words were, you had me several years ago when I was quite naive. Well, you said we made a pretty pair, and you would never leave, but you gave away the things you love, and one of them was me. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you, don't you? You're so vain, I bet you think this song is about you, don't you? Don't you? Oh, yeah, I remember that song. For years, people were trying to figure out, who did she write that song about? Because she wrote it about somebody. It was a real-life story. And people have guessed for years. I don't know if they've got it figured out yet. I don't think she really tells who it was. But she tells all the details in the song. She just lays it out. <laughs> it's, it's pretty rough. It, it, it's a tough one. Well, Psalm 51 is one of those kind of songs. It's one where something very difficult is revealed, and it tells about something David was going through. Uh, David, King David, who wrote it, was anointed king by the great prophet Samuel. David was a hero. David was a giant killer, okay? David, David, he was, he was a musician. He, he was famous. He was a great warrior, The prophet called him the man after God's own heart. Oh, yeah, that was him. He he was even the ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And yet that same David made some awful mistakes. One in particular, the, the kind of mistake that can destroy a person's life, destroy their reputation, destroy their family, whatever. He made that kind of decision. And Psalm 51 is about that. I had, a, uh, I had a, a guy come to my office a few years ago, 
he's from our church, and he was gone for a while, and, and he showed up one day, and he said, I got to talk to you. He came in my office and sat down, and he just put his, put his hands uh, up and put his head in his hands and just began to cry and said, Pastor Mark, and he told me the issue. He, he got into quite a bit of trouble, quite a bit of trouble in a lot of different ways, and he said, Pastor Mark, how did I ever get here? How did I get here? I knew better. I love Jesus. How did I get in this place? What am I going to do? I, just, I, remember, I remember being there. I remember thinking, oh, this, this, is, this, is, this is real life stuff. This is real life stuff. I remember um, thinking and taking him to Psalm 51. Uh, let me give you the background of Psalm 51 so you'll understand. David who was a great warrior and a great king, the Bible says it was the time of the year when kings go out to war. But David, who'd done that a lot, just said, hey, look, I'm just going to send my army out. I'm going to rest on this one. And so David stayed in the palace, and one night he got up in the middle of the night and walked out on his rooftop, and the Bible says he looked down, and he saw a beautiful woman bathing in her courtyard. And the Bible says, that he, he, it literally says that she was... A beautiful woman to look upon, and he looked upon her. Now, now David was king. He was powerful. He was accustomed to getting whatever he wanted, and he wanted Bathsheba, and he got Bathsheba. And she became pregnant. And then David said, oh, i got to figure, figure something out here. So, so David quickly concocted a plan to cover everything up, and his original plan didn't work at all. So he went to a deeper, sinister plan to cover it up even more to the point to where Bathsheba, her husband Uriah, who was one of David's captains in the army, he worked it out to where Uriah would be killed in battle. And then he could take Bathsheba as his wife. And everything worked out perfectly and everything was covered up. And it was all fine and neat and done until Nathan the prophet came in one day and said, uh, King David, I need to speak with you about a very personal matter. And David, of course, respected the prophet of God. And so he called him before him in the throne room, just the two of them in a private meeting. And, and the prophet said, David, there's a rich man in the kingdom that, that has a lot of servants and cattle and sheep and and he had a visitor come by his home and and asked to stay with him and he wanted to treat his visitor who was very important he wanted to treat him well and he wanted to give him a nice roast lamb dinner and but he didn't want to slaughter one of his own lambs so he went to his servant and he took one of his servant's lambs the only lamb the servant had one that the servant had raised from it was like a house pet and he slaughtered it and he served it and he said your majesty, what shall we do to this man? And David, who was just, just angered, just incensed that this man would do such an awful thing, he said, he's, David sort of overdid it, but he said, hey, as the Lord lives, as the Lord lives, this man shall surely die. And then Nathan pointed his bony finger at David and said, you are the man. 
The Lord asks you, David, why have you done this deed? I anointed you king of Israel and gave you everything and would have given you anything that you wanted, even more if you had asked. Why did you do this deed to even have Uriah killed in battle? Can you imagine what David felt at that moment? Can you imagine the blood pressure goes up or down or both? <laughs> and, and all the blood drains from his face and he breaks out in a cold sweat. And, and like my friend in the office puts his, puts his hands up and puts his head in and said, What have I done? How did I get here? I knew better than this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what he felt like? Suddenly it all hit David like a ton of bricks. Folks, it doesn't have to always be something huge like adultery or murder or embezzlement or something. It doesn't have to be something like that. We've all been there. Huge problems all start with small compromises, one after another after another. And then we find ourselves in a place where we're trapped in a corner and we're going, how did I get here? How did I get here? And even another question, what do I do now? That's the big one. What do I do now? Thankfully, Psalm 51 answers both of those questions for us. Both of them. Let's look at how uh, this psalm begins. Now, David was praying this psalm. He wrote it down in his deep humiliation, in his deep moment of crisis. And this is how it starts. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out all my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You're right in your verdict. You are justified when you judge. What do we do when we're backed in a corner like this? What do we do when all of a sudden it hits us like a ton of bricks and we say to ourselves, what have I done? How did I get here? What am I going to do now? What did David do? I want to tell you what he did. In, the, in a mess he was in, he went to God first. The first thing he did was he went straight to God. That's my first point. Go straight to God. Go straight to God. You, you don't have to, 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 to go anywhere else. Go to the source of the only one that can really help you in the first place. He went straight to God. His plans had failed miserably. He knew if he concocted another plan, it would only get him deeper and hurt more people and more, more problems would come of it. David decided, I better go to God first. Hey, don't wait for some new creative idea to get out of it to come to your mind. <laughs> don't don't, don't uh, try to concoct an easy way out. Don't worry about how am I going to avoid embarrassment. Don't worry about avoiding the pain at whatever the cost. Don't tell another lie to cover it up because I promise you it'll only get you deeper. That's, that's our first thought. How do I get out of this? We start lying, denying, trying to cover up, trying to cover up. Don't seek advice from anyone, not even a lawyer, until you go to God first. 
I'm just telling you, go to God first. He's the only one that can really, really help you. Go to God first. Notice in verse 1, David remembered God's mercy. He said, have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my iniquities. This is an important thing to hear this. Look to God first and everything else will look different. Go to God first and everything else will work out differently. I promise you, you seek everybody's advice and make God your last, uh, last person that you go to, you will have wasted a lot of time and hurt a lot of people. Go to God first. Go to God first. Remember his compassion. Remember he loves you. He cares about you. Go to God first. We all know what it's like. We, when we were growing up, we didn't want to tell our parents what we had done. And your parents were the ones that loved you the most. And finally, when you did, they're going, why didn't you tell me? And you're going, because I didn't. I was afraid. Go to God first. Go to God first. Here's the second thing. I'm already at point two. Can y'all believe that? Here's the second thing. Own it. <laughs> Own it. Yep. Yep. Admit it. All of it. Own it. Embrace the truth. Own it. Look at, look with me at verses two and three. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. He picked, David picked three different words to describe what he had done. Three different words. Iniquity, transgression, sin. Iniquity, this is, this is interesting to me. Iniquity is the Hebrew word ovan. And iniquity means my sinful nature, my tendency to always sin. Folks, we are born into a broken world, and we have, uh, as a part of just being human, this, this fallen nature that, that quickly responds when temptation comes. He says, wash away even my sinful nature. I, I realize it's part of who I am. And then he said, cleanse me from my, and it's translated sin. It's, a, it's another Hebrew word, katal, and it means missing the mark. It actually means messing up everything. So he's saying, Lord, cleanse me from this tendency I have to mess up, and especially this one, the one that I messed up so bad. And then he used another one. This is important. He said, for I know my transgression. That word transgression is the Hebrew word pela, and pela means crossing line. By the way, whose line is it? It's God's line. It's God's. The reason the Word of God is given to us is not as a suggestion for how to live your life. It's like what God says works and doesn't work. That's why the law of the Lord is perfect, the Bible says. So he crossed God's line. He crossed God. That's why later on he said, against you and you only have I sinned. He, yeah, he hurt Bathsheba. He hurt Uriah, like killed him. He hurt his family, he hurt a lot of things. He hurt his own reputation. He hurt himself. But the one he hurt the most was God, and he saw that. My transgression, I crossed the line. I crossed the line. God, I hurt you more than anyone. Why didn't I listen to you? 
He owned it. David didn't make excuses. He didn't blame anyone else. He didn't say, oh, well, it's really not that big deal. Have you ever heard that one? It's really not that big a deal. <laughs> he didn't compare it to worse things other people have done. He didn't say, oops, my bad. No, he owned it. Let me tell you how much he owned it. Look at verse 14. Deliver me, God, from the guilt of bloodshed. Oh, God, my God, my Savior. He owned it. He confessed to murder. He went all the way. He owned it. Ugly murder. Now, to Jews, there was only one way to erase sin, and that was to offer a sacrifice at the altar in Jerusalem. You know, a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice to shed blood. That's what they did. They did it once a year for the whole group. And if you had some special event, you, you, special event, special thing that happened to you, you had to go to the altar and offer a sacrifice or whatever. It was all, it was all part of their religious ritual. Now, um, that's, that's, that's how that was all done. But the thing is, David had done that a lot. David did that as a ritual part of his being a king. As a king, he had to go do all the stuff that was required of his religion. He had to do that. But David knew that was not going to cut it. Just going through a religious ritual was not going to cut it. He did that all the time. He knew there's got to be something more than just sacrificing an, an animal and going through a ritual, going through, you know, like, I got, man, I've got a mess in my life. I better start going to church so I'll get blessed. Or I better, I better go take communion. I better go do the Lord's Supper. I better get baptized so I'll be better. Those things are incredible. They're wonderful. But there's something deeper in a person's heart that matters more. You can do the rituals and miss the heart. And David knew that. David knew it. In verse 16 and 17, look at this. You do not delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Man, two things that he mentioned there. Broken spirit and contrite heart. Broken spirit means exactly what it is. Broken. Broken. But that word contrite heart. I know we don't say contrite heart a whole lot in, in our day and time. That word, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible word. In the, in the Hebrew language, that word means this. It's, it's, it's the word daka, daka. And daka means crushed to powder. He said, I'm broken and my heart is crushed to powder. Not a chip's been cut off. It's not a crack I can glue back together. I'm talking crushed to powder. You know, when I was a teenager, I dropped one of my mom's antique cups. She had this pretty little antique, like over 100 years old thing, and I was trying to be in a hurry, and I was moving it, and I dropped this teacup, and it hit the marble uh, floor, thing on the floor, and it broke it into pieces. And, and I just sat there, and, and my sister, who was in the room, just darted out because she's going to go tell Mama. And I grabbed her by the hand, and I said, don't you dare. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to put it back together. And she said, oh, yeah. And I made her stay there, and I put it in a little sack. I was at college at the time. Uh, I was in college. I was home for holidays, and I put it in a sack, and I took it to college with me and stayed up all night gluing that stinking thing back together. 
with Duco cement. Didn't have super glue at the time. It looked awful. It looked terrible. But I took it back home, and I snuck it back on the table. The next time I went home, it was gone. And I said, Mom, what happened to that cup? She said, well, Donna told me. She told me what she, told me what she did. Let me tell you what. Religion can only put pieces together with glue. And it's, but when you realize your life is broken beyond what religion can do. When you realize my heart has to be crushed to powder to realize I've got to have a new creation. I've got to have a new creation, not an old one. I can't make this better, I can, but I can make, I can let God do something new in me. And that's what David realized. Let me tell you what, what a contrite heart is. A contrite heart is, is crushed at what, what, what you've done, what we've done, the sin that has happened. I'm crushed. God, I'm crushed. Not at just who I hurt, and I'm not just crushed that I got caught. And that it hurt me. I'm crushed that I have, I have I've dishonored you and I've, I've disobeyed you. God, that's the crushing of my heart. And we see it for what it is. It doesn't mean I'm sorry because I got caught. It doesn't, it's, a, a contrite heart is not interested in cheap apologies. Or, or trying to, to, to just wrestle your way out of it. Make it not look so bad so it won't hurt so bad. David knew he had to have God's help. And so he told the truth about himself, to himself. A contrite heart is more than a religious thing. It's a heart thing. Notice David said, a broken spirit and a contrite heart you will not despise. You know what that means? That means God reads hearts. Listen, God reads hearts. He doesn't read how much money you're putting in the offering plate. He doesn't read how many times you go to church, what your record is. He reads the heart. He knows the difference in repentance and trying to get through it so that you don't get hurt so bad. He knows the difference in trying to smooth it over. God knows. God reads hearts. That's what a broken heart and a contrite spirit is all about. And I promise you this. I promise you. God will never, ever turn anybody away who has a contrite heart. He will not. He'll never turn them away. He never does. Now, Judas did the most awful thing in the world. And the Bible says Judas was sorrowful. In fact, I'm sure Judas' heart was crushed. But Judas kept it there and just kept that crushed heart and kept that crushed heart. And he didn't go to God with the crushed heart. Some people think, God, I've gone so far, I, I can never be forgiven. That's not true. Okay, this brings me to our last point. First of all, go straight to God. When you're in a mess of your own creation, self-inflicted wounds in our lives, go to God first. Number two, own it. No excuses. And number three, give it up. Yep, let it go. Give it up, let it go. And here's why. Once you own something, now it's yours. You get to decide what to do with it. If you own it, then you have the right to give it to God. If you own your sin and say, I did it, God, you have the right. You have, you have the ability now to say, God, 
I give this to you. If you don't own it, if you don't own it, it's not yours. It's not yours, and it can do whatever it wants to to you. That's called guilt. Do you hear me? That's called guilt. Guilt is the thing that people get. It's what Judas had. Guilt he kept. He didn't, he didn't go to God. He didn't give it up to God. He just kept the guilt. Let me tell you what guilt does to folks. Guilt will destroy you. It'll make you feel useless, unworthy, no good, ugly, disgraceful, pitiful. If you, ref- if, if you refuse to own it, guilt will stay with you. It'll rob you of your identity. It'll rob you of your confidence. You'll become bitter and hateful. Guilt causes a series of emotions that actually change the chemical and physical content of your brain. That's proven scientifically. It changes something inside your, inside your mind when you hold on to it and you don't give it up. It stays with you. Guilt causes anxiety. Guilt, did you hear this? Guilt causes anxiety because there's always something to cover up. Guilt, ca- guilt causes someone to be immobilized by fear and shame so that, so that you're suddenly in a place and you're surrounded by this thing called fear and shame and it gets bigger and bigger and you think, I'll never get out of here. And then you suddenly sort of get comfortable there and you think, well, that's just the way I am. I'll never change. That's just the way I am. And all of a sudden, instead of saying, God, I need help, you go, oh, this is just who I am. I'm going to celebrate who I am to the whole world. And all of a sudden, you wake up one day and say, where did I, how did I get to this? Guilt is one of the biggest weapons that the enemy uses. He, he does it to open doors for evil spirits to come in and, and take parts of your life away from you. And ultimately, it will rob you of your faith and confidence in Jesus. If you're a believer, it will begin to rob you of your confidence in Jesus. You'll start doubting God and doubting everything he says to you. That's what guilt does. That's what it does. Guilt is cultivated when you allow yourself to dwell on how badly you failed instead of taking it to God, saying, yes, God, I did it, but here it is. I own it, and I give it to you. Guilt is a stronghold that will say, I've gone too far, and God will never forgive me. That is a lie. God wants so desperately to forgive. God wants so desperately to help you, to turn you around, to take that crushed heart and make a new creation out of it. God desperately wants to do that. He lives for that. He lives for it. Look, it's it's okay to feel guilt, but it's not okay to keep it. Listen, I want to read to you something. Remember the word I I told you, daca, that means crushed heart, to be crushed to powder? I want to read you something from the book of Isaiah. For he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions, and daca, crushed to powder for our iniquities. And with his stripes, we are healed. Look, if you allow your heart to be crushed and then you give it to him he goes oh I've already taken that that's what I did I was crushed for your sinful nature I was crushed and the way you can connect with me is have that crushed heart that you give to me and I will heal you heal you means make you new 
Folks, that is amazing. Same word, Daka, same word. Jesus has already taken the crushing of our heart for us. So when you feel that crushed heart, Jesus took it for you. And he wants you to simply say, Lord, you took it and I give it to you. So what does, what does that healing look like? Let me just quickly give you some of the things the book of, I mean, the chapter 51 of Psalms says. I love this. This is how, this is how forgiveness feels. Cleanse me, Lord, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have crushed, Daka, can rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit inside of me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a strong spirit, a willing spirit who will stick with you. Open my mouth, O Lord, and I will sing your praise. How can I get from the place, what have I done? How did I get here? How can I go from there to open my mouth, Lord, and I will sing your praises? The same man that committed this dastardly sin. He did have the heart after God, didn't he? He he did was a man after God's own heart because he dealt with it exactly the way God wanted him to. It did cause trouble in his life. Yeah, it did. But David was the man after God's own heart. Forgiveness flowed from him. God toward him and him toward everyone else. I want to tell you something. That's the kind of God we have. He knew a father that wanted to forgive him that would not let him go without a fight. Several years ago, uh, in, in South Florida, there was a family that they lived there on a lake, and it was hot, and it was in the summer, and a little boy, probably by fifth or sixth grade, wanted to go swimming in the lake, and he, and he ran out of the house and took his shirt off and left his shirt and his, his socks and his shoes and went down the dock and dived in, you know, and Started swimming. His dad was out in the yard watching him. And then the dad notices there's an alligator in the lake and it's coming toward him. And so he panicked. He ran toward his son screaming and saying, turn around, turn around, come back, come back. And the little kid understood. But the kid turned around and he was swimming as hard as he could. And, and just as he got to where the father was to, 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 to take him up, the, the father reached down, the father grabs his arms. And just as he was coming out, the alligator grabs his legs. And it was a huge tug of war between the father and an alligator and they were fighting there the father dug his fingernails into his arm to try to pull him out and fortunately a neighbor who came running across with a pistol shot uh, the, the alligator the alligator let go and they, they took the son they got him to the emergency room he was in the hospital for weeks and weeks he did survive but his legs were mangled in so many ways and full of scars and a news reporter a news reporter came to interview the kid after the kid was getting better and told the story. And 
the, the news reporter said, can I, can I see the scars on your leg? And yeah, he, he, he pulled his pant leg up and he showed. It was awful scarring. And the guy said, oh. And he goes, oh, no, but look at these. And he pulled his arm up and says, these are from my dad. I have these because he wouldn't let go. That's the kind of God we have. It doesn't matter what you've done or what mess you've been in or you're in or whatever. It doesn't matter. You've got a father that won't let go. And there are scars that may come, but he won't let go. That's how much he loves you. And I beg of you today to see that God. I beg of you not to be Judas who just says, oh, it's too late, it's too late, I'll never change. No, God can make you a new creation. That's what Psalm 51 is all about. It's about the Father that won't let go. And David knew him in the middle of his mess. Fortunately, the gentleman who was in my office that day several years ago let Psalm 51 be his guide. And he's serving the Lord today with all of his heart. Scars intact in many ways, but he's moving forward and he has an incredible life, an incredible family. That's the kind of God we have. So I want to tell you today, would all of you stand with me, please? Just stand with me. Today, I, I, our, our team is coming to lead us in a worship song. I, I want you during this song to just examine and look at your heart and see, do I have a contrite heart? It, it doesn't have to be over something big. It's just those things that take us away from God and, and try to eat on us day by day. Have I got scars in my life that I focus more on those scars than the ones that Jesus had in his hands and feet when he died to save you? I want you just to examine it because in a few minutes, we're going to have a team to come and pray with you. And I promise you, you can leave this place free. 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 Worship team, if you'll come. Heavenly Father, I pray as we sing this song that you'll connect. Lord, I pray everybody online that's watching right now They'll connect with the words to this song and what a contrite heart is and how you will never reject.